2: Blackfoot. Connect
1: to more. Welcome back to Total one Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, the intersection of business and sports. It's what we do around here every other Tuesday. Business Angle with Justin A. We'll get to that in just a moment. If you miss anything in our number one, you can listen on the podcast, the Tell Juanas podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, and listen. The uh, Tell New podcast available thanks to Blackfoot Communications. You want to call? 361 3688 is the phone number. And if you'd like to listen live, you can do so on the website via the stream, 1029ESPN.com. You tap the listen live tab and uh, jump in the stream anytime you'd like to, including live on the show from 4 to 6 mountain each weekday afternoon the stream available thanks to opportunity bank your local bank your opportunity it is time now for the aforementioned business angle segment again every other tuesday we're joined by our friend justin angle professor of business and marketing at the university of montana to talk about sports both nationally globally and also locally here in montana western montana and the impact that business commerce and uh, and maybe even marketing as well is having could have and uh, and so on some interesting conversations we've been enjoying doing this and we'll continue this into the new year we go to the range brothers rv full line welcome in justin angle justin thanks so much for being here A uh, happy post thanksgiving hope all is well with you nice to have you again my man
3: it's good to be here fellas thanks a lot uh, just kind of finding our way into december i would be remiss if i didn't take this opportunity to say happy birthday to my daughter charlotte all right. Love it. Day, so. What's the
1: what's the number for Charlotte here today?
3: Number 9.
1: All right. Yep. Well, congratulations Charlotte. You've endured your father low these 9 years and you deserve a great uh, a great big cake, I hope. <laughs> Indeed. Uh Justin, uh I know that we have a number of things to get to, uh, but I wanted to start here uh with yesterday and the Denver Broncos two days and ago. Oh, two oh yeah, two days. Ryan ago. was
0: on vacation last week. He's still got his mate. days on vacation. What do I
1: care? Whatever yeah. the day was. And Kendall Hinton playing quarterback for the Broncos Uh, who is not a quarterback very clearly and was thrust into this position because the league refused to move the game back. Every quarterback on the roster is as well documented out because of COVID, either a positive test or because of contact tracing. And also, I think, I take it to be somewhat uh, uh, of a sort of a disciplinary measure by the league to not move the game because they found, you know, the team or the quarterbacks to be culpable in their own, you know, lack of, decision-making as it pertained to staying safe or whatever the case might be but you from a business standpoint also look at this and go and also they're playing the game because they're they're bringing in money for playing this game despite the fact that there's first of all no competitive real value to that game as Colton can attest and also perhaps even uh you know risk involved in this thing
3: yeah there's so many dimensions to it um You know, it's kind. I mean, this is a hard problem to solve that the NFL is trying to solve, and we're sort of seeing uh, from week to week like it. Their plans are getting stress tested, and they're responding. It seems like you know, in this particular instance, they're on their heels in many aspects. And when that happens, I mean, not only are we talking about you know the the COVID risks and exposing these 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 mostly young men to to risk but also you know you take this kid you know he gets thrust into the posi- into this position these are highly specialized athletes playing at the highest level and to just ask somebody you know, of course the kid is going to say hell yeah i'll play and go in and pour his heart into it and and that's just that's a that seems like an unfair ask of an employer
4: right <laughs> yes it does say, hey
3: buddy. We're gonna put you. We're gonna put you behind. I mean, think of it in terms of NASCAR, right? Like the driver gets COVID. What are we gonna do? We're gonna grab Ryan off the bench and say you're gonna drive this Ferrari for 500 miles at 200 miles an hour. Like that seems like a risky play. I think it's a great um,
1: idea, but I give myself one lap not to wreck, just to go. Nope, no, not for me. And into pit road I go. You find somebody else to do this job.
3: Totally. I mean, you put these. Football is a super risky game to begin with. We've talked about that, um, you know, on the podcast and and in our conversations here. And then you're just taking on undue risk. And I think it's sort of like this just sort of laid bare to me that, you know, the NFL is, is one, they don't have a lot of wiggle room within their existing plans. And at some point, it's like these games just don't make sense, you know, that the product is not high enough quality. And we're putting the underlying talent at at great risk, undue risk.
0: I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a moment. Uh, On on one hand, I do believe that the NFL was trying to make an example of the Denver Broncos. Uh, We're seeing what what is currently happening with the Baltimore Ravens. And the biggest difference between what's happening with the Ravens and what's happening with the Broncos, aside from the fact that Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, is the reigning NFL MVP, put that to the side for a moment. What's happening right now, though, is the the city of Baltimore is ravaged by COVID on a higher level than almost anywhere in the United States of America. The health department has come in and said, here's what's going on, and then the Ravens have 19 tests and the health department has checked to see if the Ravens are following protocol they have been yet they still have this massive infection therefore the league is not punishing the Ravens for having more covid positive tests than anybody else in the league because they've said you guys did everything you can do you just live in a community where this is going crazy whereas the Broncos on the other hand these guys were in a meeting they were all were not wearing masks and i believe that the NFL is making an example of the Broncos that's one thing but on the other hand though We have seen the NFL delay, postpone, reschedule many games so far this season. To me, the common thread in those games is the marketability and prevalence and prominence of those teams. And I get that I'm kind of contrasting myself in the fact that if you don't have any violations here uh, in terms of county health regulations, that the NFL is not going to make an example of you per se, but the person that uh, that, that basically hold on the Broncos was an anonymous source and there was no actual visual evidence of it. So therefore, I believe that if the Denver Broncos had a quarterback that wasn't Drew Locke, that wasn't Jeff Driscoll, that wasn't Brett Rippon, but instead was Cam Newton or Lamar Jackson or some Ben Roethlisberger or Tom Brady, that the NFL would have made different standards out of it. What do you think, Justin, of the fact that when the league has a network... T- that's the other thing, is the Saints-Broncos game was never scheduled to be on network national TV. Right. This Ravens-Steelers game is. The NFL is bending over backwards, regardless of the, the, the fault, per se, of the coronavirus infections. What do you think of the fact that the league is basically catering to its national TV audience as well as its uh, national-level stars?
3: Yeah, I mean there's 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 a lot in there and ultimately like if if the NFL made a decision to sort of publicly punish a team by forcing it to play um that seems just super uh, like like bad strategy to me. Um in the long run. I mean they sort of you could do the same thing in effect by for, by canceling the game and and forfeiting it. Yeah, you wouldn't get the TV revenue, but in this case, I mean the NFL's Constantly walking this 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 sort of um, tightrope between profitability and player safety. I mean, there's sort of trading in player safety to maximum profitability. And to me, like that that contrast came into stark relief this weekend, because even if they are punishing them, punishing them, you can do the same thing with a forfeit. But throwing these these these, these young fellows out there. Uh, they could risk grave injury. I mean, death, even in terms of some of the long-term health implications of um, of w- what they're subjected to. So, yeah, it's a complicated choice. Probably at the end of the day, the pocketbook uh, is the driving logic, and seeing that so so sort of clearly in front of us, I, I just think it it uh, sort of like pulling the curtain back too far would be my impression of it
1: yeah well and it, it is interesting too because the nfl can do what they want but you know john elway along with several others went to the league and said we we don't want to play this game please move it back we got to move this thing back yeah. and they wouldn't do it and so then i mean to me there could be some uh, i mean the broncos don't have to play the broncos could just go well you can say that there's a game but we're not playing in it if it's a forfeiture then so be it and by the way they played the game and it was a forfeiture like <laughs> let's just be clear i mean there's no no chance of winning that football game so i mean they they rolled out there anyways uh Justin, let's uh, change uh, gears here just a little bit. Justin Angle joining mm-hmm. us. Business Angle is the segment every other Tuesday. We're joined by a professor, Professor Angle uh, from the uh, Business of, uh, Department at the University of Montana, and. Talk about this this vaccine a little bit uh, f- for for COVID, which there's been a couple uh, you know encouraging reports from some different uh, companies coming out with with uh, some some fairly what what seem like pre- prelim- preliminary, efficacious sort of vaccines that are here, but we're a long way from those being first of all substantiated and done and then the the work to be done to make it available and you know massively uh, uh, you know out there in society and it's going to have to happen it seems like kind of in waves and you think about this, in the realm of sports and it opens a lot of very interesting uh you know conversations as that might you know transpire in the coming months certainly we hope it does transpire in the coming months i have some sound here from Travis Decure that we can play but give me your uh, your sort of initial lay of the land on on this
3: well i mean it's so nice to have some some what sounds like pretty darn good news about COVID that these vaccines uh, the multiple iterations of it appear to be highly effective. And I mean, I think it's going to get rolled out sooner than you think, Ryan. I mean, I'm here, I'm hearing from a couple, um, physician friends of mine, and they're expecting you know, maybe to get vaccinated, um, you know, second, third week of December, um, wow. you know, and then sort of a systematic rollout after that. The thing that's interesting, I mean, there's so many interesting things about it, but one thing I think about, um. You know, it, it, how to roll out a vaccine like this is a super interesting challenge. I mean, one, it's just logistically challenging, but, but how you design a system, you know, it's sort of the intersection of maximizing health, uh, the economics of it, the ethics of it. Um, you think about how you layer on a sports franchise on top of that. Like most of these franchises are really profitable and they have the sort of financial wherewithal to buy a vaccine. Okay, and you know, and, and, and if they can, they should, and they should vaccinate all of their players and staff, and and all these people that are sort of being forced to create the product. They're taking on an exposure in order to do that. That seems reasonable, but at the same time, if you're sort of scaling up the supply of vaccine just because you can buy it for all your employees doesn't mean you should necessarily be allowed to, you know, if athletes are sort of allowed to get this thing before um, other people that are maybe at higher risk or um, play different roles in our economy or, or provide care for others or however you want to measure it, there's so many dimensions to this. Um, and that's not to say sports are are unimportant. They 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 are in terms of the goodwill they bring to communities, uh, and it's particularly at a time where we need good stuff in our communities. So if we can rally behind sports teams, if we can continue to sort of get excited about these events, and they can sort of happen uh, more safely, then that should come into consideration too. So I I don't have the right answers here, other than just to just to sort of throw out there that. This is a really complicated problem. It's hard to solve under the best of conditions, and it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out.
1: I got just two minutes of sound here, and I want to play from Travis DeCure, the head coach of the University of Montana men's basketball team, and he's speaking to exactly this question that we're talking about. This is from last week, uh, and he was on a Zoom call, and I thought what he had to say was really insightful, especially from a guy in his position. So here you go, Travis DeCure, Mm -hmm. head men's basketball coach. Coach, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently of a couple of vaccines in the work. Um, and I was wondering if there'd been any talk about how, if one of those kind of starts ramping up beginning of the year, January, February, whenever, how that would affect the season, how that would affect teams' ability to travel and such.
4: No. Um, and I haven't asked a lot of questions about that. I, I, I'm willing to believe there's a lot of people out there that need that vaccine before us. And I I think that we're sending a bad message as a country um, if athletes get that vaccine before people that are saving lives and people that are being asked to educate young kids in rooms they don't want to be in. And and so, you know, if, if frontline workers, teachers... You know, if they don't get it first, then I think that there's there's a major issue with what what's going on out there. So, I, because of that, I haven't asked the question. Um, I'd I'd like to see us get to a point where, you know, all all these it's available to all the athletes, and we can move forward. But I, I just I, I I I wouldn't be comfortable to hear that my guys got it before some of these professors on campus that have in in person classes because they're teaching grad school classes that can't necessarily be handled online or they're teaching in labs. You know, we, we've got, you know, my daughter's at Rattlesnake Elementary and she's in remote learning right now, but there's some instructors that are, they've got, they've got kids in there a couple times a week, right? Sentinel and, and I think there's an elementary school that had some positive cases today. If those instructors don't have it before us. There's a problem in the United States.
1: So there you go. I mean, the head coach of the team saying, look, we should be well down the list of of groups that should be getting this thing, you know, when it comes out. And again, we don't really know. One of the things about this, you mentioned the word scalability, right, Justin, is we don't know, you know, first of all, when it might be available and then what the process might be for (laughs) its availability to people. But there is a certain ethic in the way it would be dispersed, right? And you, and you got to think that there's, you know, the folks that are the high risk folks and the, and the folks on the front line should be at the front of the vaccine line, not anywhere else.
3: Yeah, I agree, Ryan. And, you know, just struck by coach Travis, just continuing to be such a sort of beacon of clarity and ethics in our community. I mean, I'm proud to call him a colleague and I've been proud to sort of, teach to the extent I can, the, 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 the members of his team that are, that are in my classes. I mean, that kind of leadership and clarity is, is really important right now. Um, I think it's particularly important at the college level, right? Like, we're, we're asking folks to go into harm's way in many ways. And this has sort of become clear earlier on with, with testing and sort of what, how, how universities would allocate testing resources, particularly when those resources um, and, you know, I agree. I think that at the professional level, it's a little bit different because the the doctor drives it a little bit more explicitly. Um, but in this instance, at the college level, you know, I agree with Coach Travis. we got to be getting it out to kind of the the the, the 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 people that are providing the core mission of the university first.
0: One of the most essential parts of the business angle – of this, and this is the business angle with Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor. It
1: certainly is.
0: But to me, when you look at, I was talking to Montana State head coach, head football coach, Jeff Choate, the other day, and he was saying, You know, we are in a distinctly unique position in college football as the Bobcats and the Grizzlies, where we make a substantial amount of money, millions of dollars, for a draw, for the gate. Who is coming to our games? And right. we make almost no money in any other way, other than for <laughs> other than uh, private donations. Right. Every school that you can think of across the country, save a handful of rural, rurally located FCS football-driven schools, they can make money both at the gate and TV. I mean, Clemson can have a one-quarter full stadium because they're getting paid fifty million dollars in the ACC. Ohio State's making seventy million in the Big Ten. Right. University of Montana is not making any money on television, so they have to have big crowds. But then where do we get to the point where that's safe? And then this gets us into incredibly murky waters. Are you going to demand if your staff and team and coaches are all vaccinated, then are you going to demand vaccines from the public? I think that gets into incredibly murky waters, and I don't really know how you go about navigating the logistics of that.
3: Well, it's coming, Coulter. It's coming like a freight train right at us. I mean, institutions, companies, um, schools, whatever, they're going to have to make decisions about, you know, to make policy. Are people going to be required to have to have vaccines or evidence of vaccination? I mean, we do it at the University of Montana with with measles. Like in order to register for classes, you have to provide documentation that you've been vaccinated for measles. Um, are we going to need that to gain entry into a sporting arena? Are we going to need that to gain, you know, to be able to buy a plane ticket, um, all these sorts of things. And and how are we going to be making those decisions? Who's going to have the power? Is it going to be governments? Is it going to be businesses? Is it going to be something in between some combination? Um, what is acceptable proof of vaccination, um, all these sorts of things, and in this, I mean, we saw what ha- has happened with masks becoming politically polarized pretty quickly. Um, we haven't seen that with vaccines, but but there's a ton of underlying polarization around vaccination already, um, and I'm, I'm just nervous that you know we're like one tweet away from a really volatile situation with uh, vaccine adoption.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of how this thing goes. But like you said, I mean, let's, uh, let's hope for the best, that maybe there's something good coming yeah. and that it's coming quickly and, and, uh, and that, uh, you know, we're on the other side of this uh, sooner rather than later. That would be uh, obviously the best case for everybody, certainly. Uh, Justin Angle joining us. Uh, the Business Angle is a segment every other Tuesday. We do this with him. And uh, just one other thing I wanted to point out here, Justin, uh, you are uh, behind – well, not really behind, in front of, too, uh, a new angle podcast. Go online, a newanglepodcast.com, uh, or you can just download the podcast wherever you get your podcast. But today drops every Tuesday morning. And today, Meg Fisher, your guest, uh, an individual that I'm uh, happy to say we've had a chance to speak to before on this show. Unbelievable story. A car accident at the age of 19, lost part of her, her lower leg, uh, and yet went on to win gold, silver and bronze medals among other many other things in the 2016 2012 Paralympic Games is a physical therapist around town. She is your guest, obviously, uh, an unbelievable story, world-class athlete and and uh, just a great inspirational figure right here in town and she is the subject on on today's brand new new angle podcast.
3: That's right. We dropped that episode this morning. Meg is a phenomenal human being. I just really have enjoyed getting to know her and observe her, her work now, particularly as a coach, physical therapist, doctor of physical therapy here in our community, helping people learn how to do more with their minds and bodies. And it's just, uh, yeah, it was an honor to speak with Meg. I've been trying to get her on the pod for a while, and I'm glad it finally laid out um, I think it's a good episode, and and, and, if, and if folks are interested, yeah, please
1: tune in. Well, go give it a listen, boys and girls, and uh, you know follow it or, or subscribe to a new angle podcast as good as it all gets. All the things, all the do, all the things. That's right. What are we? Tra- we're transisting them. We're uh, twittering them. We're we're Spotifying them. We're doing. You know, it's just you just can't read them. I don't know. Have you transcribed any of them yet? Can I get it in paperback? I have. You can get don't
3: it in paperback. Ass, yeah. They are transcribed. I mean, we are fully accessible. Look at so that. You can listen. You can read. Whatever. I mean, we haven't gone quite to the, the video level that you all have gone to. Uh, I don't know if the <laughs> internets are ready for my ugly mug. Um, oh, Justin, they let us on here, Maybe they can handle, they guys, here, they can
0: handle me. <laughs> yeah, if they can handle us, they can handle
3: uh,
1: anybody. That is, that is a fact. Uh, well, Justin, great work as always. Appreciate you being with us, and uh, we'll be back with you in uh, a couple of weeks.
3: All right, thanks, fellas. Be well.
1: Justin Angle, professor of business and marketing at the University of Montana, uh, joining us every other Tuesday for the Business Angle here on Two Tell Nuanas.
0: As the COVID nineteen and college sports worlds turn, yes, the CDC officially just shortened guidelines for quarantining after COVID nineteen close contact or exposure from fourteen days to ten days, and from ten days with a negative test to seven days with a negative test. Okay. So the reason this is impactful is those rules are now directly applicable to college basketball. Mm. The number one thing that was going to incur and and hinder college basketball was you're going to have close contacts throughout your entire roster if you have a positive test. At least a third of the people are going to be considered close contacts. Well, even just having to quarantine for four or less or in a case of a negative test, half of the amount of time, Mm -hmm. that significantly impacts in a positive fashion the scheduling element of this so it might cause for a lot less rescheduling i mean for example on the big sky conference note portland state had a positive test today because of the state that they're in combined with the regulations that exist in oregon and then nationwide portland state had to cancel its entire non-conference women's basketball schedule four games off the slate Another example, Utah Valley, which is a school that's supposed to play both Montana and Montana State in the non-conference. They also had a positive test. Those games, which are weeks away, off the schedule. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you ever want to play games when you have positive tests within your program, but all I'm saying is that you know, the Utah Valley game, which is December 12th that game in Mon- at Montana State,
1: that game could occur under the new regulations if it hadn't have been canceled. Very good. Thanks for the update. If you want to watch sports, it's a great place to go watch them. The Silver Slipper, 55 televisions, and get in there, get your own area, watch whatever you want, have them put on whatever you want, get yourself a drink, get yourself some food. They have drink specials every day. 20 Keno machines if you're into that. a Liquor store and pizza. It's right Tarantino's Pizzeria. Nowhere else. You should be watching your favorite team at the Slipper. It's all about great food, tasty drinks, and the urge to have a good time. The card room open. Call or text 333-1500 or visit MissoulaPoker.com for more info. Also stop by today to see why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best kept secrets. They're right there next to the Country Club uh, on uh, on Brooks. You're headed south out of Missoula or, as it were, north into Missoula, coming from the Bitterroot. Check them out on Facebook as well for up-to-the-minute info and daily drink specials. The Silver Slipper.
2: Blackfoot, connect to
1: more. Welcome back to Tell Newanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, How D across the great state. Excellent to be with you on this Tuesday afternoon evening as it were remind you to go to the website 1029espn.com and uh, participate you win yourself a william henry pocket knife right now just tell us who you think is going to win the super bowl and one word one single word as to why they're going to win again if you don't know if you haven't been following around what a william henry pocket knife is well it's probably going to be the second or third most valuable thing that you own if you end up winning this. Or if it's you, the most valuable thing. Without doubt. Without doubt. Well, what's great is it will probably be the most expensive thing you own because you'll, in fact, own it. Right. You know? Outright. Outright. This is the type of thing people don't get outright very often. Uh, you get it from RPL, the jewelry store. Anyway, go onto the website, 1029 ESPN dot uh, com and check it out uh we're really excited to give it away we're giving it away friday so time is starting to dwindle a little bit in terms of the uh window to go ahead and participate in this but we've made it simple for you so 10290 spn.com uh to uh, hang out with us there Coulter, last week we, re- we released the latest installment of grizz greats the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions Joe Douglas, University of Montana Hall of Fame wide receiver. Uh, And uh, we're going to play an excerpt of that for the people right now. But Grizz Great's brought to us by First Security Bank and by Blackfoot Communications. In 1995, 25 years ago, there's a good chance when you called your friends, family, and colleagues on the other side of town, you called using services on your phone from Blackfoot Communications. And 25 years later, Blackfoot continues to keep our homes and businesses connected with state-of-the-art voice and internet services. Blackfoot takes great pride in celebrating the indelible mark left by Montana's run to its first football national championship in 1995. Blackfoot is excited to sponsor Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions, a 25-part podcast series reliving that epic campaign. Blackfoot, a proud supporter of Grizzly athletics. And Colter Joe Douglas, excellent to talk to him, Uh, and, uh, and anybody who uh, was around knows how great a player he was in yet such a diminutive, diminutive package.
0: I mean, if you look at the history of the university of Montana football team in terms of the pass catchers, yeah. Big Sky Conference era, 60s and 70s, the Grizzlies were running the ball a ton. They had some of the great backs in the league, including Terry Dillon, who is one of the only two Grizzlies to have his number retired. Yeah. Then in 1982, when they had Morty Morningweg, Brian Salonen became one of the most preeminent tight ends. Yeah. But then when you look at the Don Reed era, there was a lot of really prolific receivers in terms of pass catch numbers, but not in terms of yardage because they were spreading around. Matt Wells always had Scott Guernsey and Shalon Baker and on down the line. Well, Joe Douglas was a breakout guy in 1995 while still sharing time with guys like Matt Wells. 1996, though, he probably was the first truly transcendent, go-to receiver at Montana. And he ripped the league apart. I mean, he still holds the record for the most catches and yards in a total playoff run. He still holds the uh, number of catches in a single game, number of touchdowns in a single game. And only last year did his single-game yardage total get broken by Samari Touré. That 96 season, one of the great seasons, not only in Grizz history, but in Big Sky Conference history. But Joe Douglas, he had perhaps the greatest run in terms of success of any Grizz ever because he was only here for two years, 1995, 1996. Joe Douglas didn't know what it was like to lose. He no, only had a couple no. losses
1: in his whole Grizz career. Well, he had about as good as it gets. And in two years, did enough to become a member of the Montana Athletics Hall of Fame. An incredible uh, accomplishment for him. Here is an excerpt from his podcast, which is up now everywhere you get your podcast. Enjoy this from Joe Douglas.
5: coming out as a high school kid you know how cool it would be to go play in these big stadiums in the in the Pac-10 but after my experience at, at Washington Grizz Stadium, and then you know even going beyond and and playing in some places when I was in camp for the NFL, the atmosphere at Washington Grizz was a more special place than anywhere that I'd ever that I, that I'd ever played. It was truly a home field advantage. I mean, it was. I always tell people. I mean, that was. It's one of the best places in America that you could experience watching a game. I would imagine, and definitely playing in a game, especially being a Grizz. It was just. It's such a special place, and we all know that. It's talked about. I think nationally, even people know about it. But uh, it's just a truly special place. I mean, I, I don't really even—you got to experience it to really understand what it feels like.
0: Hello and welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions. I'm Coulter Nuanas for Ryan Tutel. Grizz Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula. In this Grizz Greats episode, we welcome in Joe Douglas, a Hall of Famer at the University of Montana, one of the most prolific receivers in the history of the Grizz football program, a fan favorite, and a sort of pioneer, a guy that transferred from the University of Montana from Oregon State, one of the first Pac-10 transfers Don Reed was able to bring in, and that Montana Grizz coaching staff, they had so many Oregon ties. Robin Flugrad, the wide receivers coach, all the way until 1994 before he left a native of Eugene, Oregon. Don Reed from Oregon. Jerome Sowers, the defensive coordinator from Oregon. A variety of players on the team, including Matt Wells, another record-setting receiver, also from Oregon. Joe Douglas, he hailed from Salem. He came to Montana before the 1995 season. He only played 22 games for the Grizzlies, but he still finished with 145 catches, 2,301 receiving yards. He scored 174 total points, and he had 25 receiving touchdowns. He was an All-American as both a junior and a senior, as well as an All-Big Sky selection each year. In 1996, he won the Steve Carls award as the MVP of the Grizz football team. That was on the heels of one of the great seasons in program history. He had 82 receptions and 18 touchdowns that year. Both single season school records and the touchdown record still stands today. He also set the single game receiving record for yardage with 279 yards against Eastern Washington. He also scored four touchdowns in that game. That 279 yard single game mark stood until last year in the second round of the FCS playoffs when Samari Toure totaled over 300 yards breaking that record after it had for almost 25 years. Joe Douglas still holds the FCS playoff tournament record for most catches with 41. He had 13 grabs in the 1996 national title game, and perhaps one of his most memorable performances was his outstanding game against Montana State in 1995. That day in Bozeman, he hauled in 13 receptions, 208 yards, and a touchdown as as Montana won, going away 42-33 as part of their epic run that then led into three straight playoff wins to advance to the national title game against Marshall, where they earned the school's first national championship with a 22-20 to victory in Huntington, West Virginia. Grizz Grace, proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula, proud to welcome in Joe Douglas, University of Montana Hall of Fame wide receiver.
5: I thought coming out as a high school kid, you know, how cool it would be to go play in these big stadiums in the, in the Pac-10, but after my experience at, at Washington Grizz Stadium and then, you know, even going beyond and and playing in some places when I was in camp for the NFL the atmosphere at Washington Grizz was a more special place than anywhere that I'd ever that that I'd ever played it was truly a home field advantage I mean it was I always tell people I mean that was it's one of the best places in America that you could experience watching a game I would imagine and definitely playing in a game especially being a Grizz, it was just, it's such a special place. And we all know that it's talked about, I think nationally, even people know about it, but uh, it's just a truly special place. I mean, I I don't really even, you got to experience it to really understand what it feels like.
0: Coming into that 1995 season, uh, I think it's easy to forget that Montana actually lost a lot coming out of 1994. I know that both the uh, one-point loss to Delaware in the playoffs in 1993 and then the disheartening loss to Youngstown State in the playoffs in 1994, both those things motivating factors. But you know, Scott Gregg's on his way to the NFL, and uh, Shalon Baker, Scott Guernsey, the two leading receivers in the history of the school, uh, graduated and, and move on, and Shalon Baker goes on to play professional football too. Um, but what do you remember about just the expectations both for the receivers group and the team? as a whole heading into 1995?
5: You know, just coming in as a new guy and and not really knowing, it might have been to my benefit. I really didn't know. I heard about Scott and Shalon a lot. You know, when I got there, those guys, um, you know, Billy obviously played with them. Uh, a little bit, and then everybody uh, who was there when I started playing, obviously played with them too. So I, I heard about them. I just didn't know them, you know. So maybe me not knowing and, and those expectations and and knowing what they went through with those tough losses, those previous two years, may have benefited me. But man, I, I felt like um, when we would take the field, uh, we were we were going to win. I, I felt that early on. I think we went to Washington State and we kind of competed. Uh, even though we lost and I thought man okay we can if we can compete with these guys in the Palouse we're going to be okay and then sure enough I think it was Boise State and I think Tony Hilde and those guys were supposed to be really good and we just throttled those guys so I think we just we figured out pretty quickly we were going to be pretty good and then obviously with Dave it was just again you know Dave was just amazing and it was well, we always felt like we were going to win with that guy going and then we had a super good defense on top of all that.
0: To a man, every single guy we've interviewed so far has talked about that belief in winning.
5: Do you know where that My came bad. from,
0: though? I mean, where, do you, does that something that's cultivated? or Is that something that's intrinsic? Where does that come from when you're doing it as a collective group?
5: I, I, I think it is intrinsic, and I think it is cultivated as you go. As you go, you just it's it's happening, and then there's more confidence and. Uh, there's that just belief you believe in everyone. I mean, like, you know, you realize you're just playing with some super, super good players and we're being coached real well. We're in situations that, uh, really benefit all of us. And, and, um, I just, it just became real, real evident that, uh, we we're going into games and we we're going to win. And you know, we always thought that and more often than not, we did. Uh, and so, I think it's a little bit of both, a little bit of, a, of an intrinsic thing, but it also is something we, we're building, and uh, it was just such a great feeling. I,
1: I, I want to ask you about one one game specifically in that 95 season. That's the Cat Grizz game because mm-hmm. a, a lot of guys that we've talked to from this 95 team, they'll talk about that Boise game, the Washington State game, the Idaho game as well, but not as many about Montana, Montana versus Montana State, even though – anymore that is the game it's the only game right in a lot of ways at a lot of levels but there was just such a uh, an expectation and if i may say a certainty that montana is going to win this football game that it kind of didn't register but you roll into what is the game of the year in the state every single year and have 200 yards plus in your very first one in the rivalry game do you you remember that and and what do you think about that especially in the context of sort of the legacy of that game over the years
5: yeah I do, you know it's uh, of all all the games in, in what have you and and there's so many special ones i just remember that one uh, that one that wasn't going as we had planned early on and it right. was a tough game and and um you know i i don't know how i had that good of a game to be honest with you it doesn't seem like i i put up those kind of numbers but um that that game was a i just remember it just being a super tough game and not one that we had anticipated to be that tough but uh, of course somehow we pulled it out um and i i don't know they just it's there there is such a build up and we had like gosh i don't know at the time uh, how many we had reeled off straight i don't know like 13 14 at that point in time um so that was kind of a big thing and talked about but uh I don't know, that season was just – it seemed like every game was pretty big and and we played well, um, uh, you know, week in and week out. But, boy, we got to the end of that one and it just didn't seem like we played very well. But we somehow pulled it out. and yeah, I I just don't – when I think about it now, it didn't feel that good, you know, even though we won.
1: We have talked, uh, of course, to everybody about the playoff run, and we'll get to the national championship game specifically. But the three games – in Washington Grizzly Stadium. I mean, what more can be said? Oh. We, you know, when you talk about you know, a, a, what was it, a Colter? 160, of 14 or something like that. I mean, just oh unbelievable. And you on the offensive side, I mean, you guys are, are pretty much done at halftime, maybe a little bit in the third quarter, but I mean, yeah. just rolling the way you did into, I mean, for God's sakes, a national semifinal. You know, I know it was cold. I know it's Stephen yeah. F. Austin, all that kind of stuff, but I mean, you got to be thinking at that point, well, this I mean, signed, sealed and delivered. There's n- nobody can touch us right
5: yeah yeah oh my goodness it was uh, it sure seemed like that uh, those first three games um i think i obviously it had a little combination of teams coming in from the south and not experiencing such a crazy atmosphere and it's so cold and it's like you know we're moving around these little uh washington grizz guys moving around i mean i think we were essentially playing on frozen grass um, but we had these little spikes, and we could move real well. And these, these guys from uh, the south, it, 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 were just, it seemed like they were tiptoeing, and they were freezing. And uh, there was just so many things that were to our advantage. And uh, absolutely, I mean, it, it felt like nobody was could could touch us. Um, obviously, getting to that national championship game, it, it wasn't quite like that. But, uh, yeah, what an unbelievable three-game run. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody could have ever dreamt that up. But that was certainly uh, a fun three-game run, that's for sure. And
1: there you go, Joe Douglas, Hall of Famer, the University of Montana and uh, member of the 95 National Championship team and the '96 National Championship appearance uh, for for the Grizzlies. Great to talk with him again. That episode of Grizz Greats is up right now. You can go listen to it. You can go to grizzgreats.com or you can just subscribe and listen on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Go ahead and do that uh, anytime you would like to and uh, and listen to the whole series as it uh, continues to roll out here. We really had a lot of fun doing this, and uh, Joe Douglas was great.
0: 1993, when the Grizz football team was trying to host their first playoff game in a couple of years and only their second playoff game ever, former First Security Bank President Bill Boucher spearheaded spearheaded a group of local businessmen, who guaranteed the bid for UM Athletics. That commitment from First Security Bank to UM Athletics has never wavered. Two years later, in 1995, University of Montana football team turned that local optimism into national prominence, when the Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship. And 25 years later, First Security Bank remains a proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and continues to be a proud sponsor of Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions 25-part podcast series remembering that epic season. First Security Bank encourages you to go to grizzgreats.com and check out all the great episodes for Security Bank of Missoula.
1: Wrap it up next.
0: going to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home, even when you're not.
1: As usual, we've worked ourselves a ton of time. Here at the end, it is 2Tel Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Radio. If you missed anything in the show, listen on the podcast. Two Tell tel podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe, and listen at your leisure on your time, podcast brought to us by blackfoot communications hey what if there was a place where you could walk in and get better feel better get physical therapy pay a flat fee and be on your way well there is physio that's right missoula's only walk-in physical therapy office physio offers physical therapy on your time with a flat fee so you can feel better faster no need for referrals for insurance Just go to physiotrek.com, book your appointment, and feel better. You know you've been wanting to try dry needling or see if more specific stretches would help. You can do that now at Physiotrek online, physiotrek.com. That's P-H-Y-S-I-O-T-R-E-K-K, physiotrek.com. Book an in-clinic or telehealth appointment today. That's physiotrek.com. Coulter, it's been lovely to be with you. What do you want to know that... North Carolina beat Stanford in the Camping World Invitation After Championship their, they, game. They came back and trounced UNLV. Yes, they did. UNLV was up like thirteen, nothing. Lost by like twenty. Yeah, uh, that's the way it goes. Well, I mean, North College Carolina's basketball. like number thirteen in the country. So, Duke, Michigan State playing right now. Number six versus number eight. Who's the number one team in the nation? Gonzaga. The Gonzaga Bulldogs. We got to get ourselves a tournament this year. Go Zags. We'll see you tomorrow, ESPN Radio.